Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider, the podcast that's all about the geeky stuff going on in the world and how excited we are to be a part of that. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland, and not with me is Ariel Kasten. Uh, We were not able to record a new episode this week for reasons, and so I thought we would bring a a, a rerun of sorts. Uh, We're going to listen to an episode called Game of Cats, which published in June of 2021. Uh, And we spend the first part of the episode getting to know Ariel a bit better. And then we talk about our thoughts on musicals and we have a fun mashup of Game of Thrones and Cats. And before we get into that, I just thought I'd mention that, yes, we are staying on top of the geek news. We have thoughts about the new Multiverse of Madness trailer for Doctor Strange. Um, We have thoughts about the fact that Picard season three is apparently going to bring back pretty much everybody from the next generation with the exception of like Tasha Yar, a couple of others. And we hope to give our thoughts on the moon Knight series, which by the time you hear this episode two will have come out. And uh, we're really excited to see that. Or at least I am. I can't speak for Ariel. I haven't actually talked to her about it yet, but uh, I I'm actually really digging it. I'm enjoying moon Knight so far. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with some, more geeky news and more mashups next week. But uh, for now, why don't you enjoy this episode that we published last year, Game of Cats, and enjoy. Hey, Ariel. 
Yes, Jonathan? I got a question for you. All right, Ariel, your question, and this this does tie into uh, our topics of discussion today, is that you have a chance to have sort of a gender-flipped experience uh, playing a character from a musical that typically would go to a male actor. What's a song from a show that's typically sung by a male actor that you would love the chance to give your own take on? Okay, well, I'm very fickle about musicals, and so I'll change what musical I want to sing from day to day, but there is a a go-to song that is usually sung by a guy that I really love singing and would love to sing, and that is Lost in the Wilderness from Children of Eden. It's usually sung by uh, Cain and Abel, and... It's it's very heartfelt and there's like, but it's nice in a tenor range. So I I tend to be a contralto tenor, and so I've always liked singing guy parts. Anyhow, nice. But that that's just off the top of my head. Like I said, that could change any day. Mm-hmm. So if, if there's a song, I want to sing it. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, <laughs> what about you? Anyone who has gone to karaoke with me knows that if there's a song, I want to sing it. <laughs> What gender bent song would you like to sing? So there are tons of songs. I I have been known to sing at karaoke songs that were meant for actresses. Uh, For example, Popular from Wicked is one of my favorites. I love doing that one. But uh, as for the song that I would really love to sing uh, that uh, I would never get away with, it would be Stupid with Love from Mean Girls uh, because it's just a fun little upbeat silly song. I, it is not age appropriate for me. <laughs> it's not gender appropriate for me because it's sung by a character who's supposed to be a high school uh, student, a young female high school student. So it's about as far away from me as you can get. Uh, but it is a genuinely fun song to sing. Uh, there's also another one called I like, uh, I love play rehearsal, uh, which is from be more chill. That one I would also kill to sing. Because I love that song, too. But that's enough about me. We're now going to segue into a segment I like to call, What's That Ariel About Anyway? Huh, I don't know. What is that Ariel about? (laughs) We're going to find out. And I'm going to find out by asking the foremost expert on what Ariel is all about. And that is Ariel. Hey, Ariel, we're going to get to know you. Okay. So we're going to start off with the the simplest of questions, but one that you have received numerous times because I've been there when it's happened, which is where did your name come from? Did your mom name you after the little mermaid? So no, my mom did not name me after the little mermaid. I was, I don't know when that came out. Uh, (laughs) And uh, the fun thing is though, depending on the day and when you ask her, she did name me after, hi mom. She did name me after a cartoon character. So my mom and dad were watching Thundar the Barbarian, as the story sometimes goes. And in Thundar, which is kind of like He-Man, He-Man adjacent, there's a sorceress named Ariel. And he goes, Ariel, let's ride! And they liked that name, and so they used it. Uh, but uh, they also will sometimes say it was after the sprite in The Tempest from Shakespeare. Uh, and they like it anyhow because... Uh, it, in Hebrew, it means lioness of God. And so there are lots of nice reasons to have that name, but I cling to the the one that I heard, the one that stuck with me the most, which is I was named after a character from Thundar the Barbarian. 
Yeah, being named after a Shakespearean character is no no bad shakes either, so to speak. You know, no, the, the, temp, the Tempest is is a true masterpiece. Some argue that it was the one work of Shakespeare that was wholly original, not something that he lifted from a previous work and then adapted. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and I have played Ariel in The Tempest, and I have been in a play of The Little Mermaid, although I was her big sister, and it wasn't the Disney version. Nice. Well, then let us move on with learning more about what Ariel was like as a child. Uh, arguably, I knew Ariel when she was a child, but that was when she was a teenager, so it doesn't really... It's not the same 18. thing. <laughs> 18. Maybe 19. <laughs> were you... Eight, so it was, I met you in 2000. How old were you then? Uh, I was 18. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I started Redfest at 18, but we didn't super know each other then. So. No, no. But, I mean, you, you had seen me perform in Shakespeare parodies, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We, she knew me before I knew her. Actually, she didn't know me. She knew my character before I knew who she was. <laughs> you are a great performer and your character, uh, more so than my friends who worked at the Renaissance Festival, uh, was part of the re- thing that made me go, hey, I want to work there. Your character and then a kissing wench at a promotional event both made me go, I want to do that. And we'll get to more of Georgia Renaissance Festival in a second. But first, I want to hear about some of the geeky things that you loved when you were growing up. What were some of the things that you kind of gravitated toward? Uh, Star Trek. Nice. Oh, I remember what, yeah, I remember watching the the cartoon as a small child. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I was raised on science fiction fantasy. I remember reading a, a Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court and The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings with my parents. A lot of uh, Asimov and, and Heinlein, uh, children Heinlein stuff, not adult Heinlein stuff. So like the Rolling Stones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the not the wacky psychosexual stuff that came in later no, Heinlein stuff. No, no. But, uh, you know, my mom was a geek. My dad was a geek. And so it was inevitable that I would be, you know, I was raised on science fiction, fantasy, Star Trek, Star Wars, all of it. You know, Phantom Tollbooth is, I, I would lump in there and Never Ending Story as well. So, nice. Well, my favorite things. Well, then let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the Renaissance Festival. Now, I, I have seen most of the characters you played. Not all of them, actually, because there were a couple that you played when I was sort of inactive in the festival mm-hmm. scene, and I wasn't even going as a patron. But can you talk about maybe a couple of your characters and some of your favorites and, and what they were like? Sure. So, like I said, uh, meeting one of the kissing wenches was what made me want to do the Renaissance Festival. So I auditioned for with a Shakespeare piece and auditioned to be a kissing wench in particular, and I got the call that I was cast, and they wanted me to be the old maid. Uh, <laughs> yes, about as far away from kissing wench as possible. Although, in her heart, she wants to be a kissing wench. In her heart, she wanted to be a kissing wench. It was it was a little bit soul-crushing. No, it was fine. It was, it was a great experience, and it really stretched me. I was wise alone. The village old maid, but we had another Liza at fair who was Liza Lot, and my friend who encouraged me to audition at the time was playing the stocksman Whips a lot, and so I became Liza Lone a lot, uh, the old maid. Uh, <laughs> since that time, I have gone all over the place. I was a fashion consultant, Vogue La Mode, which I think is my most returned to character, who is all about the color pink. I was also the Black Widow, Lady Marianne Killingham, wife of the late Earl of Killingham, before that, wife of the late Duke of Softly, and before that, wife of the late 
Viscount of Withersward. So it was actually Lady Marianne killing him softly with his words. <laughs> Widow of 68, looking for a number husband, husband number 69. Uh, I was also Ruby Tulips, a kissing wench. My band played there. And so I played Beatrice, Flatson, Hanson, Benson, Janssen, Tallinn, Small, and Svensson, Swanson, which, yes, was a nod to the producers. Everybody could call me B-flat because I played clarinet, which is a B-flat instrument. Uh, all over the place. I was all over the place. I think those were the ones that stuck with me most. I was also in Scenario one year, which is the big plot that happens. Yes, there's a plot at the Renaissance Festival, depending on which one you go to. Uh, I did stage combat. You name it, I did it. Yeah, and uh, and I mostly knew you as Vogue. That was the character that mm-hmm. we, we mostly overlapped with. And uh, typically... The, the character I was playing at that point, who was the Lord Admiral, was uh, kind of in a weird, like, hot and cold relationship with Vogue, where one of us would seem to be very friendly toward the other, and the other one would just be the the most, like, cold and distant person possible. And then it would change. <laughs> but yes. it was never, never, never the same way. Like, we never had two people who were really into each other. It was always a one-way direction for the, uh, for the affections. And the other person was either oblivious or outwardly spurning them. Um, Oh, that's what keeps it fun though. Yeah. No, that was what made it really fun is that it added, it created comedy for the audience, which was the Mm -hmm. whole reason for it. And you mentioned your band. First of all, what's the name of your band? (laughs) It depends on what day you're asking right now. We're calling ourselves either the 10 penny travelers or the fetch and muggins. Uh, <laughs> nice. I was about to say, like, you mean you're not the Tenpenny Travelers anymore? That's <laughs> We are. So we're the Tenpenny Travelers. That's what we perform at various festivals as and at Pirate Palooza. Uh, we've recently started playing some bluegrass music for a LARP that we play. And so at that LARP, we're the Fetch and Muggins, just because we're all different characters and not our real life selves. But yeah, I'm, I'm in a pirate renaissance folksy band called the Ten Penny Travelers. Mm-hmm. And and we, there, we, there's actually an album. There is. <laughs> we keep meaning to make a second one, but that takes so much work. Mm-hmm. We actually started off playing, I, I met them at a LARP, and they were like a woodwind group and playing uh, folk music and folk dances uh, at events and weddings and things like that. So we were a wedding band for a while too. That was fun and exciting. Yeah. And uh, they, they play a lot of uh, a lot of the songs that you would hear at places like the Renaissance Festival that uh, there's songs that are very they're very folk song oriented, but um, they're very recent period because that's what everyone plays at the Renaissance Festival. I, mm-hmm. I think I've been to maybe two Renaissance festivals where they had people playing period appropriate music. And the problem with that is that audiences don't expect period appropriate music. They want to hear, they want to hear the things like the Irish folk tunes that they associate with the Renaissance, but in fact are much more recent than that. Yeah. The, the period music is much better for like background as opposed to sitting and watching a show for most audiences. Well then how about, since you mentioned LARPing, how did you get into that? What was, what was your experience getting into LARPing? And can you tell us a little bit about some of your characters that you play in the various games? Oh, golly. Yes. So, uh, like I said, I was raised a geek and, and early in my life, I decided I wanted to be a theater geek more than anything. And I joined an outdoor Shakespeare troupe. And one of the actors in one of the shows with me said, Hey, I do this LARPing thing. You should check it out. Uh, and 
the LARP that I wanted to go to at the time was 18 years and older because you're all out role-playing in the woods and hitting each other with plumbing supplies wrapped in foams. You want to, you want it to be adults. You don't want to beat up some poor child. Right. Uh, <laughs> LARPing, the LARPing scene has changed drastically over the years, at least the LARPs I play in. So we actually do have some kids who are allowed to play with parent supervision on a case by case basis. Uh, but I was 17 at the time. And when I turned 18, I went to a LARP convention and I tried a couple of characters uh, and I started off with kind of roguey fantasy characters. So I played like a jewel elf and a fire elf and it was elfy and I wanted to be all these like pretty little characters. And then as time went on, I decided I wanted to be a bruiser. So it's it's a lot easier to play a game when you just got to worry about, ooh, thing to hit. Uh, and less about, well, here's all this intrigue happening and here's all these details. As I become busier as an adult, it's also easier for me to play and get invested in a game if I don't have to remember a ton of details about all of these fake politicians and intrigues and things like that. So uh, I think my favorite characters are the last two I played. One was a barbarian from a culture that was very uh, closely based off of Finnish culture, which uh, my great-grandparents on my mother's side, one set of them are from Finland. So I was all about that. So I could hit things and pretend to be from Finland. And then the other one that I currently play is at a, a Western LARP with um, a lot of Nerf guns and I play a, a monster hunter. So I'm basically playing Dean Winchester from, <laughs> from Supernatural. Supernatural. Yeah. In, in fact, I, I play Winifred Chesterfield or Winchesterfield. Uh <laughs> Nice. Yeah, your your naming convention uh, meets with my approval. I'm I'm glad it does. I like to be punny. <laughs> so do I. I mean, my character at Renaissance Festival was Edmund Vainglory, and uh, I I really I really lived up to that name as much as I could. Mm -hmm. Whereas the name of the French villain I played was Robert Camembert, the Marquis de Roquefort, <laughs> which was about <laughs> as cheesy as it gets. Uh, oh. So to wrap this section up, I have one more question I want to ask you. And it's one of those that I think is kind of fun to chat with uh, with various geeks, which is what is something in the geek sphere that, you know, you should have already seen or experienced, but you just haven't gotten around to it yet? So the one that keeps coming, one is Nightmare Before Christmas, which we talked about in our Christmas, our first Christmas episode. The other one I think would be The Shining. Mm. I've never watched The Shining. I've read very little Stephen King. Unlike Jonathan, I am not the hugest of horror buffs. I watched my first horror movie in fifth grade. I asked my parents, I said, can I please see this? And they said, well, because you asked, you can. We don't think it's a good idea. And boy, were they right, because <laughs> <laughs> Freddy Krueger haunted my dreams for so long. Uh, <laughs> it was Freddy Krueger and it was uh, Candyman. Oh, and yeah. Which, at the time, I got through by, by thinking the heroine could not have lost that much blood. This is ridiculous. Just trying to take myself out of it, mm -hmm. uh, to look at it from, a, from an outside angle. Uh, but yeah, Shining, uh, as I get older, you know, I'm able to divest myself from some of the scarier aspects of suspenseful horror movies. I'm still not a big gore fan. I don't, I don't like too much slasher torture stuff. But, sure. Yeah. But The Shining, while I know it does get gross at some areas, it's such a classic. I feel like I'm missing out by not reading it, watching it. 
There's a, well, I mean, yeah, and it's two different experiences, right? Because the book is very mm-hmm. different from the movie. In fact, so much so that Stephen King was famously upset at Stanley Kubrick for the changes that Kubrick made to the story. Though I would argue that Kubrick's changes, for the most part, work well with one one exception. Uh, one thing that is a, a problem, I think, early on in the movie, but that's largely due to casting and not necessarily mm-hmm. the film itself. Uh, the Shining is a truly pivotal, important pop culture thing. I mean, there's so many references to The Shining in pop culture uh, that I think by the time you finally do sit down to watch it, you're going to have the feeling of I've seen 98% of this movie already <laughs> just through the cultural touchstones, you know, like red yeah. rum and stuff like that. And here's Johnny and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And I, I know it transcends geek culture, but uh, most of the people who I know who are Stephen King fans are geeks. And so for me, it just fits right in. Yeah, no, I think, I think horror geek fits in with other types of geeks. I mean, most of the conventions we go to horror ends up playing you know, a pretty big role in the various panels and discussions. It's usually, I would argue that it's normally a little, a tier below science fiction and fantasy in most, mm-hmm. like in most mainstream conventions, but there are also, you know, horror centric conventions out there too. And and horror so often intersects with fantasy or science fiction sure, that it absolutely. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I agree. I think The Shining is something you need to experience, but it needs to be experienced in your own time. No one should be rushed and, there's no there's no time limit on when you can experience something for the first time. So just as a gentle reminder to our dear listeners out there, if you hear that somebody hasn't had a specific experience that you think they would really dig, then the best reaction is probably not to say, why haven't you done that yet? It should be, I am so excited that you get a chance to see this or experience yeah. this. That's that's yeah. that's a better way to go about it because it doesn't put someone on the defensive and it lets you share in their excitement to experience something for the first time. So uh, that's me on my soapbox. I got to get down off the soapbox because we're going to need to take a quick break. And when we come back, yep, we're going to go and talk about some musicals. Yay. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. So we're back, and like Jonathan said, we're going to talk about some musicals, but specifically television and movie musicals that are not musicals by nature for yeah. the most part. So we're talking about shows and stuff that have occasionally dipped their toe into the musical, you know, pool, but this would leave out stuff like Glee. Glee doesn't count mm-hmm. really because Glee was structured to be kind of sort of a musical. Like it also really helps us kind of get our minds around what we think of as a musical. Actually, I think that's a good place to start, Ariel. Uh, sure. For you, what 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 makes something a musical for you as opposed to something that has music and maybe even singing in it? For me, and and I think you and I have discussed this, so we haven't necessarily discussed it with our audience. Uh, a musical is a story where the plot is furthered by singing. And I think you and I have agreed in the past that a good musical is when the music comes in, when the characters' emotions are so strong that they have no other way to express themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are jukebox musicals, and if you can, where you take pre- pre-made music. Yeah, music that was not made with the intent of it being in a musical. For instance, Jersey Boys. And you plug it in to fit certain situations and you can use that music to further a plot. And some jukebox musicals are fun. Mamma Mia is a lot of fun. But to me, a, a really good musical is is one where you're driving the plot and you're drive, you're learning things through this music that just bubbles out at heights of emotion. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that a, a real musical is one where the songs either further the plot or they tell you something important about the character. One mm-hmm. of the at least one of those two things should happen. Maybe both. If you're really good, you get both done in one song. Um, occasionally, you get songs that fall into general categories. Like there's the I want song, which is where you learn whatever, either it's the protagonist or it might be the antagonist, but you learn what it is that they desperately want. 
and what is going to drive their their motivations and their actions moving forward. Uh, you know, you've got and then there are a lot of songs in in musicals like theater musicals that have a specific purpose where like the there's a longstanding joke that the first song after intermission is one that has no real impact to the story of the play because you're literally just tr- filling up time where people are coming back to their seats. Yeah. So yeah, like that's that's a that's a gag, but it's true. It is true. Yeah, because a lot of people do not return to their seats when they're supposed to. The women's line restroom line is so long that the lights flash and yeah, it's you're still like 10 you're minutes. like listen, I cannot sit through another hour of Jean Valjean singing in his high pitched voice <laughs> if I don't go to the loo. So yeah. So I agree with you, Ariel. I think that you know a really good musical puts those uh, thoughts at the heart of the story and jukebox musicals can do that. It's just harder because mm-hmm. in that case, you've, you, you're kind of shaping the story around the songs that you have, as opposed to crafting songs that help you tell the story you want to tell. Yeah. I mean, though, that is a great landmark of, of a really good songwriter or band or group. If they can create songs that spark your imagination in that way that you want to create entire stories around them. Right. Uh, you know, and, you and I both love musicals. I really like when shows decide to be a musical. One of my favorite TV shows I would consider a musical, which is Gallivant. Yes. Yes. Gallivant is a musical and it it, fo- it follows the rules and it shouldn't be any surprise. I mean, you had uh, Minken, one of the, one of the pair of Ashman and Minken who were part of the Disney Renaissance with the little mermaid and beauty and the beast and Aladdin uh, as as one as one of the the people working on that show, so you would expect it to have those qualities. And Gallivant was very tongue in cheek. It was very meta in its in its approach to fantasy tropes and um, trying to subvert those in fun ways. Uh, not every episode was a total winner, but the really good ones were genuinely really good, and the songs were always fun. I mean, any any show that casts Weird Al Yankovic as a singing monk has got mm-hmm. got my vote. Uh, so yeah, that's like that was a really fun one, and it was a shame that we only got two seasons of it. Yeah, I agree. There have been some other shows that have tried to veer into the straight up musical genre, such as Crazy Ex Girlfriend or Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Uh, but most TV shows either incorporate music here and there throughout because the actors also enjoy musical theater mm-hmm. and music, or they just toy with the idea of having a musical episode. For the funsies of it. Yeah. And it's fun to also see when they try and justify that, like how they justify it. Different shows have done it in different ways. So, for example, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which had one of the best musical episodes of a non-musical show of all time, once more with feeling, Mm -hmm. uh, they did it because a demon was in the town and the demon's enchantment caused people to sing their innermost thoughts and desires. So... People were incapable of holding their thoughts in. They had to sing them out when they rose to the surface. And so people would would learn each other's, you know, inner motivations, which furthered the drama for the rest of the season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So it ended up playing a lasting part in the series. It wasn't just a little one-off thing that was fun and curious and then never talked about again. It had long-lasting impact for the characters in that Mm -hmm. series. It was really well done for a series where I would say the majority of the actors were not actually singers. Yeah. Yeah. You had a couple, you had a couple of really strong ones. 
you know, Amber Benson was in, playing mm-hmm. Tara. It was very strong. So Giles, who has played characters like uh, Dr. Frankenfurter in Rocky Horror, uh, Anthony Stewart Head, brother to Murray Head, who was in Chess, uh, and, yeah. and Jesus Christ Superstar. I mean, like, there were a couple of legit, like, superstar singers yeah. in there, but most of them weren't. And- Anthony Stewart Head was also in, although a very small part, in the Sweeney Todd with Johnny Depp. He was also in Repo uh, the Genetic Opera. Repo, <laughs> I was going to say, which uh, not very, very low on the list of musicals for me, but you know, I mean, it's a got musical Paris, nonetheless. It's got Paris Hilton in it. Come on. That, that's like <laughs> top notch entertainment. Uh, so another great example would be Scrubs. Scrubs had a musical episode mm-hmm. where they framed it where there was a patient who comes in who has uh, had an event happen to her where for some reason she perceives all the people around her singing. And so in that episode, the idea is that people are not actually singing in the in the quote unquote real world, but we're seeing it through her perception. So in that sense, we get a bunch of musical numbers. And again, it's because you know, people like Zach love musicals. And so they, they did a whole bunch of different songs. Yeah. And uh, that one was a lot of fun, too. And also really more played into things that we already knew about the characters. I don't think we got a lot of revelation from that one, but we wouldn't no. expect it because it's being seen through someone who just got there. So, But I, I do think it was a, a clever way to incorporate, hey, I want a musical episode is, is to give it that that justification. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got an entire Zoe's extraordinary playlist is all about a, a woman who hears everybody's internal thoughts as songs. So kind of the scrub story mm-hmm. expanded. You know, and then you've got like fl- the Flash and Supergirl crossover which I think was an alternate universe. Uh, quite honestly, I did watch it, but I was so excited because it was just full of amazing singers who have been on Broadway. The kid who plays Cisco was in Once. Victor Garber was in it. Uh, all, you know, and, and Supergirl and The Flash themselves also were on Glee. So it was just an episode where they're saying, we've got all of these talented actors who are also very talented singers. Let's give them a reason to sing. And then it was also very like mobster speakeasy-ish. So I really liked that right. episode. I, I don't know whether I prefer... I know that when I watch adaptations of movies like Disney's uh, to veer off on a little bunny show, when I watch Disney do a live action adaptation, sometimes they'll focus more on the actors than on the, on the acting part than the singing part. And I feel like the singing suffers, suffers, but I don't feel the same way in television as much as I go, I want to see these people sing in a musical episode because they're amazing. You can have something like Buffy or Scrubs or even Psych although Timothy Odmidson, who was in Psych and in Gallivant, is an amazing singer, mm-hmm. and go, I'm just so excited to see these characters interact in, in this media that I love so much that it doesn't matter to me if they're a good singer. And of course, there are, there are other methods of incorporating musicals into shows. There are several shows where, within the show, the characters are mounting a musical, and that makes it really easy to have you know, music in the show. You don't have to find some weird justification for why everyone is suddenly singing. It's actually built into the premise of the plot itself. So the perfect example of this, I I would argue possibly the best version of a musical within an episode ever 
is, of course, The Nightman Cometh from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, possibly the best episode that has ever been made for television. <laughs> Uh, especially if you've ever been in theater, if you not only no, let me, let me amend that. If you have ever directed any musical theater, yes, yes. you will feel so much sympathy <laughs> for Charlie in that episode up until the end of it. But, but, but you'll I, feel so much sympathy because I have directed a musical and I was th- watching that thinking, this is so real. It hurts. <laughs> I, I would have to agree with you. Often Always Sunny in Philadelphia is too crass for me, but it it really was so genuine in its musical episode of of, of The Nightman Cometh of this is how mounting a musical works on a community level that it was frustrating and delighting all at the same time. Uh, Supernatural also had an episode where they mounted a musical, or rather it was a girl's school mounting a musical of the comic series written about the Winchester brothers mm-hmm. uh, on, on a, at the time, prophet who knew the Winchester story and was writing about it. Yeah, so the, the Winchester's adventures were being written into book form. So there was, within the world of Supernatural, the, the other characters of Supernatural uh knew of the Winchesters, but a lot of people just knew of them as the characters in this book series that became crazy popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and would argue with them about points in their own life, but I would say the musical in Always Sunny in Philadelphia, while it was crasser, was stronger than the one in Supernatural. Although you did get the song single man tear in the Supernatural episode, which was pretty brilliant. Uh, the songs weren't as strong, but it was pretty funny. My favorite episodes of Supernatural are the ones where they kind of, break that third wall and, and play with you on how ridiculous it is. And and that was a prime example of it. Yeah. When they're making fun of themselves. Uh, and you mentioned already crazy ex-girlfriend, but I just want to give a special shout out because that show, uh, was so good. It was one that I didn't initially appreciate that much. Uh, like I thought it was good, but I also thought it was hard to watch and it was hard to connect with characters. But it was a long play and uh, the revelations of the main character. There's a point where you go on that journey with her and you are you realize why she is the way she is. And you are way more on her side at that point than you had been previously. And um, like the fact that the show itself didn't shy away from criticizing its own protagonist, like, like in the song she sang, she was setting herself up for the criticism and it has one of my favorite through lines of any show that's a musical as well, which is the Santa Anna wins episode only because the actor they got to play the Santa Anna wins. He plays the Santa Anna wins. He's the embodiment of them. He's like a Loki type character of mischief. Um, And he is uh, played by a guy who had been in uh, Jersey boys so he's singing like Frankie Valley. He's hitting those super high mm-hmm. falsetto notes and he's singing about being the winds and making people do weird stuff. And so the, the, the whole thing is it's, it's the main character who is blaming her, her uh, behaviors on external forces. In this case, the Santa Ana winds and the Santa Ana winds at the end of it says like, no, seriously, this is all you. I'm just here. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> like it's, you're, you're the one who's making these choices. And, um, but it is it is legit like a joyful 
experience to watch that sequence because the actor playing the Santa Ana winds is, is so good at the choreography and the singing and it's, it's doo-wop, which also hits a soft spot in my heart. Mm-hmm. I happen to really love that genre. Uh, so, yeah. so that is, a. Uh, there's a, there are YouTube videos where you can watch all the little Santa Ana win interstitials back to back. So if you just want to get a feel for that, you can do it. <laughs> I have watched that possibly 50 times in a row. I don't know, but um, yeah, nice. I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of these sort of things too. There are shows that have done it poorly. Um, there are shows that have only kind of toyed with it or didn't even bother to explain why it happened, how I met your mother, I would argue mm-hmm. goes in that direction largely because yeah. Neil Patrick Harris was in it. <laughs> yeah. Neil Patrick Harris and also Jason Siegel who loves musical stuff. Yes. Where, who writes music where they, they famously would do the, uh, the, the dual duet scene from Les Mis together. Mm-hmm. You just, you just got slapped is one of my favorite through lines <laughs> of a show. <laughs> now that we've talked about this, do you prefer shows that are musical musical episodes or shows where they put a musical on or have occasional musical bursts in them. I think I think as long as it's done well, I don't really care what version it takes. Like I as someone who loves musicals, I love the pure musical first and foremost. That's like my favorite approach. But there are also ones where like The Nightman Cometh where it's it's you know, it's the fact that they're putting on a musical that has its own appeal to me. It, and it gets into that meta side. You know, I mentioned in a, in another episode, the show noises off um, that, that sort of thing is another meta commentary on the process of making theater. And mm-hmm. we see this a lot. Like we see it a lot in Hollywood. We see it a lot in plays. We see it a lot in books where people are writing about the thing that they do. And that becomes the story that plays out which limits your audience a little bit. Cause if you're not it someone does, who does yeah. that, then it doesn't really matter to you. <laughs> but, but I, I really appreciate it from that standpoint. What about you? Yeah. Uh, I think I like when it is sprinkled throughout here and there, because it gives me something to look forward to how I met your mother, I think does the best, best of it for me because they'll occasionally have little musical numbers pop up and it's always a delight when it does. And I know that it may not be the last one. Whereas when I watch Buffy or Psych or Scrubs, I'm like, this is, this is going to be the, the one yeah. musical episode. Yeah. You might occasionally have characters who will sing something briefly like Scrubs did a few times where they had the blanks, the mm-hmm. uh, acapella group singing stuff, or they would have people singing typically a minute work song um, or that or erasure. Cause they did respect in like first season, but it, it was yeah. more rare than, than something that would happen in every episode. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Well, when we come back, we're going to do a musical mashup of a couple of things ourselves, uh, taking one unjustifiably famous musical and mashing it up with a justifiably, arguably famous piece of fiction. But first, let's take a quick break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Okay, so we are mashing up the two properties of Cats, a musical, and Game of Thrones. And uh, this was a decision that I can't remember why we made it, but we're going to do it now. Um, I I think we decided just to be, we needed a musical since we're talking about musical things. And we, we chose to be as ridiculous as possible, which made for really difficult time writing a mashup. Yeah. And then we, we decided to go with like a, something that was truly not musical and Game of Thrones really fit the bill there. Um, mm-hmm. Unless you're talking about, uh, what was it? Ed? Ed something or other. Ed Sheeran. Sheeran, yes, who was in in a couple of episodes. Um, See, now here's the thing, though. I only watched the very first episode of Game of Thrones, but I read all the books that have been published up to this point. So for me, like I I tend to fall more on the books than the television series. I know what happened in the TV series because I'm a human being who has the ability to access the Internet, but I wasn't following it uh, you know, wholeheartedly, but we should probably give a quick rundown on what each of these things are. I call cats. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so cats is based off of a T.S. Eliot series of poems. Uh, it has a couple of original pieces in it too, but the, the poems were all individual poems about cats and, and cats that sometimes interact with dogs and sometimes other stuff too, but it's typically just a bunch of poems that introduce various cats. Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber loved the book of poems and he grew up reading them and he wanted to make a musical and 
He decided, uh, along with producers, that they were going to make a musical about cats. And then they they strung together a bunch of mostly unrelated poems. The poems are related in the sense that they're about cats, but they're not like it's not like a story. Uh, they wanted to weave them together to make a narrative. So this really is like a jukebox musical, except in this case, the jukebox isn't songs, but poems that have been set to music. And then uh, tell the story about cats who are trying to reach the heavy side layer, which is this idea of being uh, essentially dying and being reborn into a new life. So my friend describes it as a show where each of the main characters takes turn introducing themselves until one of them dies. <laughs> and that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty true. That's, it's not too dissimilar from Game of Thrones either, yeah. where you introduce a whole bunch of characters and then kill them off. So Game of Thrones is a fantasy novel series by George R.R. R. Martin. Uh, it introduces a ton of characters and it kills them all uh, as they're all fighting to gain uh, control of the kingdoms uh, via the Iron Throne. Uh, there's dragons, there's sexy times, there's not so sexy, sexy times, there's lots of murder, and HBO made a show about yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's like it's like dark fantasy in a way, and um mm-hmm. yeah, it involves a lot of intrigue and a lot of betrayal, and uh eventually will teach you the lesson that if you're a good person, you're gonna die. Yeah. You're not like good people do not last long in that series. <laughs> The, the less good you are, the more likely you'll stick around at least for a while. You'll you'll eventually die, too, and it'll probably be horrible, but you'll outlast most of the other characters. Yeah, yeah. So, well, so I, I want to, <laughs> who wants to go? Do you want me to go first this time? I, I tend to go second, but I don't know if you want me to go second again. Sure. Uh, you can you can go first. Okay. All right. So, so I have decided to do mine as a series of uh, unconnected uh Uh, vignettes, much like cats. And um, this is sort of my pitch for a Game of Thrones cats crossover musical. And um, uh, I'm going to be giving you sort of a reading of a musical. Uh, If you've seen Gutenberg the musical, that's exactly what I'm about to do to you in that I am going to, as the sole creator of this amazing show, give you the rundown of what's happening. So first thing you have to do is you have to introduce the whole concept of your show. In Cats, this is done with the naming of cats. They explain how cats are named. And so this is uh, this is how I would start off the Game of Thrones Cats version. Here it goes. The gaming of thrones is a difficult matter. It isn't just one of your political games. You may think at first the baddies can't get much badder. Well, I tell you, just wait for the final few frames. First of all, there's the Starks, who rule up in Snowland. There's Ned and Arya, and a bunch who all die. I guess that's a spoiler, but that's how it goes, man. If I said your favorite lives, it's probably a lie. There are other houses if you prefer more choices. There's Targaryen. Tyrell, Baratheon, and Frey. House Mormont likes to raise up their voices, and Greyjoy sticks around for most of the way. So you see, you can see where that's going. See, I'm just giving you the the quick pitch here. Uh, But then you have to start, like, really introducing your characters and getting to know who they are. Now, obviously, in Game of Thrones, one of the really important groups of characters come from the House Lannister, right? So I took the song McCavity, and I made a couple little choices. So it goes, um... 
The Lannisters, the Lannisters, there's no one like the Lannisters. All of them will pay their debts and throw you from the banisters. You might meet them at King's Landing, they're always close at hand. But out of that entire bunch, it's the short one I can stand. So that's, that's introducing the Lannisters. But you also you also have to introduce other characters who may not be around for very long. Uh, one of the characters in Cats, who you get the feeling is getting real close probably to the end of his life, is Gus the theater cat. Uh, so I took that one and I decided to apply it to another beloved character from the book series who I think was given too short a treatment in the television series. So here we go. <clears throat> Kate is the Stark who got a raw deal in the books. She's a zombie. I mean that for real. In the show, she gets killed during a wedding that's red. But in the books, she's a gal who just won't stay dead. That's another spoiler if you don't know about Lady Stoneheart. Okay, and then you have to uh, go through. There's a, a song called Old Deuteronomy in Cats um, that gives you some information about Old Deuteronomy. I thought you also are going to need some songs that continue the plot and explain magic in the world. So I just got this really quick little snippet to kind of give you that idea. It goes up. Uh, <clears throat> Well, of all things, can it be really? No, yes, so high, oh my eye. My mind may be wandering, but I confess, I b believe dragons are eating my thigh. So, you know, there we go. Introduce the <laughs> dragons into the story. And then, uh, I, you know, there's certain characters that you just got to figure out, like, how are you going to throw them in there? Uh, Mr. Mistopheles in Cats is a very mischievous cat, uh, but we have a very mischievous character in Game of Thrones. So, uh and we all say, oh, well, and ever was there ever a cat so clever as that jerk named Littlefinger. <laughs> so you see, like through the process of these songs, we will eventually introduce everyone. And then the last one will just, you know, kill them all off. And uh, that way we will mesh together cats and, and Game of Thrones. Really, cats and Game of Thrones are very similar, except in mm -hmm. Game of Thrones, uh, more than 50% of your cast has already reached the heavy side layer before you go to intermission. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. that was my take. Oh, this is much better than mine. We don't even have to do mine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so this is called Mungo Gerrymandering for the Throne. Um, <laughs> All right, I love the title. <laughs> thank you. I feel like the titles are my strong point. So... Mungo Jamie and Rumple Cersei Lannisper are two ambitious cats who want to rule the Iron Throne, aka the Heaviside Chair. Iron Thrones are heavy, man. It sits in a particularly powerful sunbeam, and it's theirs. It used to be the house of Bombaratheon, but he was crap at hunting and got kicked out. Little do they know, there are a bunch of other cats who are also trying to sneak into the Lannisper household to take the throne. You have Rob Skimble Stark, Grizzle Sandra. Calico Drogo, Monka Sansa, Rumtum Tyrion, Jellytheon Greyjoy, Tarly Buckety, Macavarus, Mr. Martellopheles, Old Baelishronomy, and Jaquinetti Dots. The problem is that there are so many of them, it's hard to keep them all straight and tell them all apart. Uh, fast forward through a bunch of West Side Story as cat fights and caterwauling. After the dust settles, it looks like Daenerys, Daener Hiss, Tigregarian, a flame point, 
might succeed in taking the Iron Throne by releasing a bunch of big lizards into the house to scare the owners out. Uh, however, she's killed by a sad snowshoe cat named John. Uh, and in the end, after the cats cause too much destruction, the house decides they're more of a bird household anyhow, and none of the cats get the throne. Uh, epilogue, there's one solo cat left on the wall in the north singing. I'm a night's watch all alone on this big wall with the white walkers gone now. I am cold and I'm bored. When the day comes, maybe they'll remember I'm here. Now a new rain has begun. Beautiful. Okay, like the names and puns are phenomenal and the <laughs> and you. the throne in the sunbeam a beautiful touch i think Thank i think you. with that we're going to have to sign off if you guys have ideas of how game of thrones and cats could be mashed up and you think hey i've got my own idea about that you should let us know also if you have suggestions for future mashups or topics that we should cover in our discussions about all things in the geekosphere let us know uh, you can reach out to us on twitter we are lnc underscore podcast there or you can reach out on facebook or instagram we are the large nerdron collider podcast there yes and if you like the show make sure to like it subscribe it on whatever podcasting system you use tell your friends word of mouth is really what makes uh our show grow uh and increase the fandom and when you have more people enjoying a fandom you have more fun yes leave reviews as well if they are good ones if they're bad ones just you know just just don't just don't listen anymore man you know? Yeah. Oh, you can still DM it to us. We will take some constructive criticism. Right, but no, but be nice. no, no one, no one needs to get hurt here. That's all I'm saying. That's true. We are not real life Game of Thrones. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I guess it's time for us to sign off. So until next time, I am Jonathan Strickland, and I'm Ariel Caston. The Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. The show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. 